With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings you the biggest names in motorcycle racing. I'm Dave Selecki, and this week we have Mark Atkins of Hooligans Racing. But first, here is our Pit Pass trivia question of the week. What year and location was Harley-Davidson Motorcycles founded? More on that later in the show. Coming up next here on Pit Pass Moto is our next guest, Mark Atkins. Now, Mark is not only a business owner in the industry, but also a racer. And we're going to talk a lot about uh, Rusty the Butcher and also hooligan racing. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I apologize. I called you Rusty the Butcher, and it's Rusty Butcher, which is your uh, which is your company, and uh, you guys are you're basically apparel and accessories that are geared towards that hooligan market, as I understand it. Correct. Rusty Butcher is a clothing brand slash leather goods turned marketing Instagram brand of some sort. So I guess it just turned into more crazier things I did on Harley's, and more people bought T-shirts. So. I do a lot of things under Rusty Butcher. <laughs> well, that's that's a good way to market product. I mean, you tie it to the racing and it gets people interested and, and draws them in. I thought uh, I was looking at your website. Probably the, the, the most interesting thing I saw in there was a, a statement that you had up on one of the workbenches. And it was fascinating because I agree with it 100 percent. And it goes like this. It's the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. So I, I really thought that was a great, great slogan to have up there. If I'm not mistaken, I believe that was a Benjamin Franklin quote, too. I have stuff like that painted all over my shop. And honestly, I try to support any kind of crafter I can. And my buddy, Smart Alex Signs, actually hand paints all the stuff in my shop for me, like the old-fashioned way. It's the coolest thing in the world watching that dude paint. So he does everything by hand. And you just uh, you just have him basically, I wouldn't say decorate the place, but try to put the slogans up and get the message out to everybody that's there. Oh, yeah, totally. That's just one of those like dying crafts that I think uh, is getting a little resurgence lately, sign painting. And I have people who make me glass signs. And I, I literally, with my brand, since I make stuff with my hands, I try to support any crafter I can that's doing rad stuff too. And that seems to be, you know, your approach to your product mix. I mean, when you go through and you look at the various hats and wallets and and, and other things, it's it seems like that's what you're promoting and pushing and selling is a hand craftsmanship. Totally. I'd say majority of my brand is all made in-house. We make all the leather goods in-house, belts, wallets, keychains. Currently, I'm a one-man show. I have some buddies help every now and then, but I make everything myself by hand. And then um, as far as uh, clothing goes, it's all my brand's majority made in the States. There's a few blanks and stuff that aren't made in the States, but I just try to keep things as local as possible with everything and then design some cool shirts and do some weird stuff with marketing and 
seemed to work out for so far, I guess. <laughs> so, so one of my favorite slogans on a hat that I saw, and I think you do a t-shirt too, which make sportsters great again. Is that something you cooked up or, or where'd that come from? It's funny enough. Like there was that show that Narcos came out back in the day, um, about the Colombian, uh, drug lord or whatever. And he had a hat on that said, make Colombia great again. And then I noticed it then. And then I saw the, the Trump hats that said, make America great again. And this was like before Trump was even elected. I'm like, oh, that's funny. I'm going to do a Make Sportsters Great Again one. Because like, that's my favorite bike. If you know anything about Rusty Butcher, I 99.9% ride Sportsters. It's all I practice and preach. And I always thought that that was a good saying. And the people love that one for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, timing's everything as far as marketing that goes, right? You just, you never know how that's going to oh, go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really quick on the on the marketing stuff with things that I notice in the industry. I think like a, another funny shoot I did was um, Star Wars was debuting a new a video a couple years ago that was getting a lot of publicity coming out. And I did a Sportster Wars video and it was like me dressed as Darth Vader doing burnouts and doing wheelies down the street. And then I had like two buddies dressed as stormtroopers on Sportsters too. That's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. I mean, and, and that's the vibe I get. I, I've watched a few of your videos and just looking through the website and your Instagram feeds. It's you guys are a bunch of guys that are gotten together and are just having a blast doing what you do. And I think that enthusiasm comes across when you talk about the racing. And, you know, we could talk about that next, if you'd like, the hooligan racing uh, efforts and obviously sportster oriented that's something that are, are you one of those guys that's kind of at the foundation of that whole movement in, in hooligan racing? Yeah, I would say, um, my brand and a couple other brands kind of started the whole, we got dubbed hooligan at one race, but before we were just the dummies who'd show up to the track and spill oil all over the place. We all started just like showing up to any track that would let us ride. And I say let us ride because in the beginning flat track didn't really embrace us. <laughs> we were, crazy looking ones that always show up and we'd always crash because we had the wrong tires and wrong bars and we're just eating crap all over the place and um every time we fell there'd be a big old oil patch and they'd have to stop the race and fix the track but then we ended up racing in del mar a few times and then um we got dubbed hooligan at one of those races and then it just stuck from there i'd say once i noticed there was like a good niche in this thing i hit the ground running with it with content I think for like eight months straight, I think every week on Tracker Tuesday for Tuesdays, I would post a video of me doing something crazy on Harley, uh, jumping, wheeling, racing, all the above. And it just kind of like helped, I guess, pick the trend up a little bit. And then obviously a bunch of other brands were doing the same too. But yeah, it was a, it was a weird time in the beginning of it. And it was really fun. And it was like literally just a bunch of dummies showing up to a race just having the most fun we could and crashing into each other. And, and, uh, you know, it was really rad. It's cool to be on the ground floor of all that for sure. Yeah. And it seems like a movement that's ripe for social media. You know, it just, it really, I think tapping into Instagram and making it video and live has really helped push it, you know, over the threshold to where it's really grown in popularity from where it started anyway. Totally. The past two years for me, hooligan racing, I've uh, kind of branched off into other things that are hooligan, you know, the flat track things. I, I mean, I've raced my whole entire life and I never considered that I would ever be a racer again. And then the flat track stuff's like so big and serious now. It's almost like factory racing these days. So I branched off last year into hooligan, what I call hooligan enduro. That's like my new passion. 
project I'm working on is like building up that whole trend from the ground up. Last year, I raced the Mint 400, which is 160-mile desert race on a Harley. That went well. There's only six of us who did it in the beginning. This year, I was in charge of the Mint 400 for Hooligan class specifically. So I came up with all the ground rules. There did two classes. One for the guys who are all pro and who want to build the craziest bikes in the world. There was an open class. And then there's just like the grassroots hooligan guys, like myself and some of my buddies. This year, we had 20 riders. I'd say 19 out of the 20 riders built the bikes a month before, which is phenomenal. And it was an amazing turnout. And the race was awesome. And it kicked everyone's ass. Racing the Harley in the desert is tough. Very, very tough, especially at the Mint. It's almost like going back in time because a lot of the desert racing kind of started with Sportsters and Triumphs and BSAs and, you know, bikes bikes in the 60s and 70s that weren't dirt bikes because they didn't have dirt bikes. They would convert a street <laughs> bike to using desert seer. Oh, totally. It's almost like a retro movement. But, you know, I really admire the the, the fact that it's growing and the way you guys have tapped into the enthusiasm and, and are driving it forward. It's, uh, it's good to see. I know... Uh, the, the past business I was in, in the piston business, I worked for a company called Wisco, and I designed pistons. I was a product manager and engineer. And I had just developed a new product line for the for the V-Twins, for the Harley line. And we were kind of having some meetings spitballing. What are we going to call this new product line? What, what name should we tag to this? And one of the guys said, have you heard about this hooligan movement? I think we need to call this piston series the tracker series. And I go, okay, well, that's the name we'll put on it. And that's what we put out to the market. And it was right about that time when it was starting to just take off. And lo and behold, all the Sportster stuff sold out right away. And, you know, those guys just ate that stuff up. That's rad. Yeah, the whole Instagram thing, it's crazy. Like, I can confidently stand here and say that I have a following and I can push things that I believe in. And I believe in hooligan racing. I believe in Harleys. Not that I, like progressively try to overlay but i just show people that i have fun doing these certain things and it's crazy how important that is with social media these days and i can just show people that like hey this is the most fun thing you can do on harley right now it's a blast this is what i did today i'm at the race and everyone's racing and i won this trophy or ate shit and it's just really cool the power of social media that like if you do have a following people listen and i'm pretty proud that i do have a following and I get people listening and I get support from Harley Davidson and all that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Having Harley behind that has got to help a ton. I mean, that's, that's a, like what you're doing. That's a lifestyle brand people tap into, they want to become a member of the club. And I think you're pushing that, that attitude. And, and the fact that they're behind it now is, is got to just really, really help ramp up your visibility out there to get it to more and more people. And, to me, it's about getting into a sport that's fun and affordable at the same time, because it seems to me the hooligan racers are able to afford what they're doing. It's not unobtainable as far as cost getting into the sport. Is that true? That's very true. I'd say most of the sports I that I built are anywhere from 1500 to $2,000 used. Very cheap to get into. Uh, flat track racing, you can put 500 bucks into your bike. You can put 200 bucks in your bike. You just need a few little parts and then um, just kind of go out there and have fun and start tweaking on it every now and then when you when you go practice. But it's really cheap to get into compared to going to buy a dirt bike that's, I don't know, dirt bikes are like, what, $11,000, $12,000 now? Yeah, that's the, yeah. So you can definitely find sportsers for super cheap if you want to go towards the older years. And that's what I, 
I normally stick around probably 96 to 2003s. And that's like my favorite go-to bike, specifically 2000 to 2003. But um, there's a million of them online, so it's really easy to get to. And correct me if I'm wrong, 2000 to 2003 was prior to the rubber-mounted engine and I think still carbureted, or did they have EFI? Those are carbureted and non-rubber-mounted. Okay. So rubber-mounted started in 2004. EFI, I believe, started in 07, possibly 06. I think it's 07 and up. Also great bikes, just a little bit wider, a little bit longer, super smooth. But I like those bikes for mainly like street trackers and wheelie bikes and stuff like that. I like the older style. They're more slimmer and lighter. And, you know, easy to modify and, and do things too in, in, in an affordable way. You're not dealing with electronics for the EFI. You can tune a carburetor and adjust it. So does does hooligan racing limit the displacement of the engine or is it pretty much anything you want to do or how's that go? See, that's been the battle over the last few years with not really a battle, but that's been like the talk with promoters and people who race and myself, I have my beliefs in what hooligan is. I believe it should be an inappropriate bike that's made street or a street legal inappropriate bike. That's not okay to do what you're doing normally. And you make it like some version of what you're trying to do. And that's normally like a twin motorcycle. And these are basically the rules that I came up with for the mint 400 where it had to be street legal at one time. I think I did 400 pounds and heavier. For hooligan enduro class, you had to be no, no past or present card holders, so no retired pros, no current pros, no anything of any sort. And then um, I think uh, you just had to have off-road tires. So I try to keep it very minimal. And then we also did hooligan open, which is 400 pounds and greater. Had to be straight legal at one time, but there's no restrictions on the frame if you want to do anything crazy. So any kind of crazy builder could build any wild imagination bike that they wanted to. And then that class was for any past or present card holders who want to come race with us too. Because Hooligan Flat Track has gotten to the point where I line up next to Grand National Champions. I line up next to Supercross Pros. I line up next to all these like awesome dudes. But we're all just nobodies racing against like real dudes, you know. And I don't want to lose the what I think Hooligan represents. So I made sure to separate the class but also give everyone a, a class to ride in. Yeah, it looks like that's that's paying off with attendance. I, I was looking back through some of the results, and I saw names like Joe Cop on there, and it's like, wow. <laughs> so it's so Hooligan starting to draw some of those former pros away from flat track into Hooligan, and that just moves everybody else down a notch, right? Every time another pro jumps in, you know, it, it, <laughs> yeah. you know, it just moves everybody back because those guys – obviously know how to get around a racetrack and they're not just weekend warriors. They do it professionally and, and have. The one thing I didn't want to ever happen was like someone showed up to my race and they just built the bike in their garage and all the races I, I throw myself, which is a race called tracker cross. I don't want someone to come to my race and line up next to a grand national champion pro. is just going to whoop everyone's ass and, and not want to show up to a race again. So that's why like I wanted to have some kind of division in the hooligan enduro thing from the ground up so it starts off this way and hopefully if promoters do hooligan enduro races they kind of keep my rule set going and i think it's gonna it's gonna have a longer lasting effect i don't want hooligan to turn in what happened in the pit bike industry where it was like twenty five thousand dollar pit bikes and you go race in vegas at a gnarly race and that pit bike industry unfortunately died out because of that 
Yeah, I think you're not wrong. I think that's kind of what killed that sport. And I, I'm starting to see it come back, actually, locally. We're starting to see guys get back oh, into yeah. it, but at a, at a more affordable level. But yeah, I think all of us out here are hitting it hard. <laughs> yeah. Anytime you bring, uh, you know, uh, the level up, the cost goes up and then it pushes other people out. And it's something we talk about in all kinds of motorcycle racing for sure. So I'm kind of curious, uh, you've got the Butcherland Ranch and you've got all sorts of livestock. Uh, what's your favorite livestock at the farm there? I see a lot of goats in the Instagram feed. <laughs> Man, I, I don't know if I could pick out. It's like picking out your favorite kid. <laughs> I don't know if you could do that. I moved to this ranch January 1st. And quite honestly, I grew up like in the hoods of the LA area. And I've never thought I would ever be on a property where I was allowed to have animals. And I really love animals. So I have two chihuahuas. They're amazing, beautiful little dogs. Cash and Money is their names. And then all right, got the idea to get a, it's called a mini Highland cow. So it's like the super fuzzy cows. So he's white and black too, just like everything else I own. And his name is Bolt because everything I have has a lighting bolt on it. <laughs> and then um, I bought two Nigerian mini dwarf goats. So one's name is Harley and then the other one's name is Bones because he looks like a skeleton. On top of that, I think I'm going to get an alpaca and something called a baby doll, old English baby doll sheep that just looks insanely funny too. But I'm just into really goofy animals that are black and white. It's been so much fun trying to figure out how to like be a farmer when I have no idea what I'm doing. Thank God I have neighbors that are like, they've had a ranch for 40 years and they're like my mentors. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you've got some help around you and that's that's probably going to be important and that's awesome. I, I just, it kind of echoes off your efforts with the Rust, Rusty Butcher brand and, the, uh, and your feeds on your normal Instagram. It just... You get a sense there's a lot of enthusiasm for what you do. You put a lot of heart into everything you do, and it comes across on the Butcherland Ranch Instagram feeds too. Man, I've been doing clothing for 17 years. I'm a high school dropout who self-taught myself everything from Photoshop to photography to screen printing, everything. I, If everyone went away in my life that helps me like produce things for the brand, I can do anything that I need to continue. And I had a brand a few years ago that was... It was big and I started when I was a kid and I got screwed out of it. And long story short, I started Rusty Butcher like about seven years ago. And like the main goal with Rusty Butcher and it's still today is I don't want to do anything that's not fun anymore. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it makes me money. I just, whatever I do from here going forward is for me only. And I design clothes for myself only. So if I don't like it, I don't make it. I don't make zip up hoodies because I hate zip up hoodies. <laughs> but, um, that's been the, the rule of thumb and it's gotten me this far. And I've done so much wild stuff in the past seven years with this brand because of teaming up with Harley and doing things with them. Like I consider myself a big nobody and I debuted one of uh, Harley's brand new motor platforms to the world at my shop, which is crazy. I did a Harley Davidson Rusty Butcher collaboration shirt line, which is crazy. And that just shipped worldwide to all the Harley dealerships. And that's been going phenomenal. And like, I think my rule set is like working out for me. So I don't want to do anything that's not fun. I don't want to do anything that's not entertaining to me. And I don't want to produce any product because it makes me money. I produce products because I like to wear them. Well, it's it's what they've always said. You know, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. And it sounds like, and it looks like you're having as much fun as any anybody can have doing what they're doing. And you get in with Harley Davidson the way you have, you know, they... They are extremely protective of their brand, no doubt about it. 
and uh, totally. to be in tied with them is is just monumental. So I, I wish you I wish you great luck. Well, our, our time's coming to an end here, Mark. I wanted to take a few minutes. If there's anybody specifically that you want to mention for help over the years or sponsors with your racing efforts, you could drop them in here and uh, let us know. Definitely. Obviously, I got to thank Harley Davidson. They've always been a huge help to me. My first ever sponsor, Biltwell. Biltwell Helmets gave me my first signature helmet, which is, again, phenomenal that I even have a signature helmet. <laughs> 805 Beer. Two Brothers Racing. I mean, there's a giant list of everyone. I think they all know I'm very thankful for them. I don't have the names in front of me. Pretty much anyone who's ever helped me, I appreciate it. And more importantly, anyone who's ever bought anything off my website. I'm just some random dummy, and I really appreciate you guys supporting my bad habits of spending money on motorcycles and animals. And I really appreciate you guys for having me on the podcast. Absolutely. And you're welcome back anytime, Mark. Thanks again for coming on. Yep. No worries. Take care. All right, we'd like to thank Mark Atkins for being on the show today. This week's Pit Pass Trivia Question of the Week was, what year and location were Harley-Davidson motorcycles founded? So the year was 1903 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I would urge anybody in motorcycling, or even out on motorcycling, heck, just go to the museum in Milwaukee and check out the history of Harley-Davidson. It's really, it's an American brand. It's a fascinating story. And when you go to the museum, you'll see they have an outline of the original shed where they built their first motorcycle. And it's an extremely small shed, but it gives you an idea of the space that they worked in when they built motorcycle number one. And then if you happen to have the opportunity to go to the headquarters on Juneau Avenue in in Milwaukee, you can actually see motorcycle number one. They actually found that motorcycle and restored it back to its original condition. So they have motorcycle number one on display in the headquarters, and then the museum has basically every model from every year that Harley-Davidson's produced motorcycles since 1903. It really is an afternoon well spent if you're a, if you're a gearhead like me, and uh, you get to learn a little bit about American history along with motorcycle history. For this week's episode, we'd like to thank again our guests for being with us today and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app where you'll get alerts when new episodes are uploaded. And of course, make sure you also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and pitpassmoto.com. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, Ed Camp, social media contributor Chris Bishop, and our producer Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. I'm Dave, and we'll see you next week. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age... You're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. 
I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along The Planted Runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.